On today's episode of the This Is Believe One podcast, we have Tim Ryder, who is the senior writer for Metsmerized and the host of the Simply Amazing Pod. How are you doing today? Not bad, James. Thanks for having me. Um, thanks for coming on. Um, you know, getting perspective from you know National League teams is something that is always interesting. You know, as I normally write and talk about American League teams and teams in the American League Central, it's it's sometimes interesting to get a different perspective on how things are going with a National League East team. Sure. And uh, the Mets are an interesting team for a, a variety variety of reasons, as they usually are. Uh, sometimes positive, sometimes not so positive. <laughs> um, but one interesting aspect to the New York Mets uh, for this upcoming season, if there is a season, is their pitching staff. Because when they were coming into the year, it seemed like you know they had Jacob Dugram, Noah Syndergaard, Marcus Stroman as a solid third, then some sort of combination of Rick Porcello, Stephen Matz, Michael Waka to to round it out. But with Syndergaard being out for the year and possibly portions of next season, it kind of puts them in a weird spot. It does, and um, I guess going back to last season, where you had Degrom, Syndergaard, Stroman. Zach Wheeler and then Steven Matz, um, you know, that was a, a strong, strong rotation. Um, heading into this season, you know, the depth was there. I can't say that the fan base was crazy about uh, quote unquote replacing Zach Wheeler with a combination of Waka and Porcello. But, um, you know, the, the depth is there, which is nice. It's something that, um, you know, during a long season, injuries are going to happen, what have you. Uh, you know, there's a lot of potential for um, to, to be an elite staff. And the, the Mets pitching staff was certainly looking to be a strength. Uh, losing Syndergaard is, is a blow. I mean, he was um, his numbers wouldn't say it the past you know season or so. Uh, he's been a little inconsistent, but you know his advanced metrics and and his uh, you know the stuff he brings to the table, uh, just talent wise, it's still he, he's an intimidating force. And uh, when he's when he's at his best, he's an ace. So. You know, no one's going to really c- compare to DeGrom, but um, Syndergaard's uh, literally and figuratively has very big shoes to fill. Uh, I think Stroman, um, you know, he's had elite success in the past. Uh, he, he's, you know, he was the ace of that Blue Jays staff for, for, for a few years there, and I believe he can handle um, the second spot. And I, I mean, personally, as a fan and as a, someone who writes about this team, um, I think that he was actually well on his way to uh, to – to, to changing a lot of minds. I know a lot of folks that, you know, and this is a, a step back for the rotation, but uh, positives can come out of negatives. And I think that Stroman was, was certainly primed to, um, to step into that role as the, uh, the number two guy. Yeah. Uh, I, overall, it looks like the, the Mets considering other teams rotations, the Mets, I still think have one of the better rotations for, for national league teams. It's just when you subtract Cindergard from that group, it's just like, it's almost like the world is ending, the sky's falling scenario, just because it seems like every few years or, years or so there's a Mets pitcher going down with an injury, and it's just it never seems to uh, to end up well in the end. It doesn't, and you know we we've seen we've seen this story play out a number of times here, um, and I mean I can go back to you know Generation K, even go back to Dwight Gooden, just the potential that was uh, that was kind of missed out on there. 
But, um, you know, through the 90s, even going back to the, you know, the wheelers. And, and he, he really did so much to come back from his injuries, as as evidenced by that mega mega contract he signed with Philadelphia this offseason. Uh, Matt Harvey. I mean, you know, we've seen this play out before um, for someone who is as dedicated to their health uh, and uh, fitness as Syndergaard is. I, I do think that he's going to come back stronger than ever. I think the only question is when he does come back, you know, especially with this season. I mean, this was going to be a wash for him anyway with the surgery, but uh, he's only got one more year in New York before he hits free agency. And I'm sure that kind of throws plans in, in, in everyone, uh, throws a, a wrench in everyone's plans as far as uh, for the organization and the player, you know, Syndergaard coming off of a, a slower, I guess, inconsistent season was certainly looking to, to take some strides this year. The Mets were looking to hope uh, at least, you know, get another couple of seasons of somewhat affordable production out of him. I mean, he, he's not necessarily cheap in arbitration, but he's going to he's much cheaper than he's going to be in a couple of years. But, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I Waka and Porcello are both very talented pitchers, and I think they, they could, they're going to perform well here. Um, I just I would have loved to see the Mets be in in the in a true market to replace the caliber of pitcher that that Zach Wheeler was. Uh, I, I think that. You know what, Porcello, Waka, and and even Steven Matz. I think Steven Matz might have a higher ceiling than Porcello and Waka. I think he, he just kind of he's really starting to figure it out. But uh, I, I'm yeah, I'm still excited for this pitching staff. But losing Syndergaard is certainly um, it, it's a roadblock. They just have to kind of move forward and and next man up mentality. And you mentioned uh, years of control for for Syndergaard. Uh, gut feeling: Does he stay with the Mets or does he move on to a different team? Gut feeling? All right. So so my, my fan gut feeling is no. Um, I, I don't want to say because, you know, you get mixed messages. Um, you know, they he, him and the organization have been at odds uh, at the end of the 2018 season, uh, 2019 season. He's requesting um, to pitch to any other catcher besides Wilson Ramos. He felt that, uh, no, well, you know, and Wilson Ramos is a good catcher, but he does have deficiencies um, mm-hmm. receiving the ball low. And uh, it's something that he was working on this spring, but a lot of, I guess, a lot of Noah's deception and him being able to to move the the, the ball around the strike zone, uh, he kind of needs that. Uh, excuse me, <clears throat> he kind of needs that bottom half of the plate to be accessible. And uh, you know, it, for a pitcher of his caliber, if it's going to make him better, if it's going to make him feel better, in in my view, which means nothing, <laughs> I think he kind of got to give him what he wants. But um. They didn't, and um, I'm sure that didn't sit well. And uh, considering the talent that he does have, and the analytically minded organizations that are out there, probably frothing at the mouth for him. Like if you think Zach Wheeler got a lot of money this year for, you know, I don't want to say mediocre stats, but um, you know, your ERA in the in the high threes or low fours doesn't usually result in a in a in a you know a hundred something million dollar contract. But I think Noah's going to get that type of money, and I don't see the Mets ponying up for it but who knows that could change if he comes back with a strong 2021 now would would noah's uh potential non-return to the mets be more noah Syndergaard related or more Wilpon related um i think that's tough to speculate you know i think Syndergaard loves playing in new york i know he has a really really great um relationship with the fan base he he, he you know he mixes it up on twitter um he mixes it up. I, we have a, 
one of the regional sports network SNY, uh, their uh, their color guy, I guess, on the field guy, Steve Gelbs. Him and him and Steve Gelbs have a nice little, you know, joking rivalry going. And you know, it, he he certainly likes. It, it appears he likes it here. Just behind the scenes, you know, you, you hear that things are strained at times. But you know, end of the day. He's got to do what's best for him, and if he were to leave, I, I wouldn't blame him. As a fan, I don't think I would blame him for a second. Yeah, um, definitely. I definitely wouldn't blame him for leaving because um, there have been many players in the past that have left the Mets, and they've had some, I guess, less than stellar things to say about certain aspects <laughs> of the franchise, mostly ownership-related. But that's just sometimes how it goes, and the the Mets ownership group is always one's uh, that's an easy target to throw stuff at. And then a lot of times they do it to themselves. Well, it, it's it's funny because running the organization-wise, sure, they've they've made more than a, a handful of missteps. But deep down, I really do believe that Fred Wilpon, who's um, the – I guess the, he was the father and Jeff Wilpon is the son. Um, I, I do believe that they are rabid, rabid Mets fans and they only want to see this team win, but – there's so many variables that come into play here. Um, all the going back to the Bernie Madoff thing, you know, 10, 10 or 10 odd years ago, uh, that kind of changed the landscape. And with, you know, the sale that was in place to Steve Cohen falling apart. And now, you know, it almost appears like they're, they've changed their, they've shifted their mentality from they want to sell to they need to sell. And I'm sure that this whole COVID-19 crisis isn't helping anything, at least from their side. But um, I don't doubt that they want what's best for the franchise. I just can't wrap my head around them not doing all they can for the betterment of this franchise. But, you know, th- that could come to an end soon. But all in all, yes, they have made mistakes. And that's that's kind of undeniable at this point. Now, this is just me, you know, from afar, just hearing some, I guess, things through other podcasts, you know, reports. But I, I thought I saw something where the, the valuation of the Mets dropped, let's say, I think it was like a billion dollars or something ridiculous like that. Just some abstra- just astronomically large amount of money. And then there's also the the rumors of, or you know, the reports, I mean rumor, that the, the Wilpons are not necessarily willing to let go of SNY in any potential sale. And that seems to be some sort of hurdle that they just can't get out of their own way when it comes to selling the team. Well... All right, so when Steve Cohen was planning to buy the team, yes. um, you know, he's a billionaire hedge fund manager. He's one of the richest people in America. Um, he was ready to buy the team for $2.6 billion, and that was without SNY. Uh, right now, I think Forbes has the Mets valued with SNY at $2.4 billion. And you would have to imagine that SNY carries a pretty hefty price tag. It's reportedly a cash cow. It's the only profitable aspect of this ownership group from what we hear of course we don't have the the uh the exact numbers on that or figures but there are rumors that that's pretty much the only place that they make money which blows my mind we're in new york and they are not making money but that's we could go on for hours about that but um apparently the uh, i guess alex rodriguez jennifer lopez and a group of investors were hoping to to make a bid on the team and someone had valued that I guess without SNY, it would be $1.6 billion. So yeah, around a billion-dollar loss, considering what Cohen's offer was, and that's also taking into account this is before the economic downturn. But yeah, I I think the Mets are in a position that they are, like I was saying before, they almost have to sell 
or pretty soon the way things are heading. And, uh, you know, if, if SNYs is going to get them the most money for the, for the team, I think they kind of have to go that route. Of course, they'd like to hold on to it and kind of make money, uh, you know, over the next, what, 10 years or so. I think that's when the, the contract runs out or has to be renewed or picked up by another, uh, another major network or whatever the case may be. But you have to, you know, you have to wonder someone's going to come in. They're not going to say, no, I, I want to buy the team, but not the part of the team that makes money. I just don't see that happening. Yeah, uh, that seems it just seems, you know, sort of bizarre from, you know, from a from an outside perspective, just the, the willingness to, to sell the team, but not the part that makes the money that actually makes someone want to buy the team. But, <laughs> but I, mean, uh, I, I do think that you can. You know, if you do things right, and we've seen it happen in New York in the past, especially on the other side of town, but even in Queens, um, you know, when this franchise has gone out and spent money, let's look back to like 2005, 2006, where you got Carlos Beltran, Pedro Martinez, Johan Santana. You know, they're spending a ton of money, but they're also selling out every night and putting a competitive team on the field. And, you know, there's there's ways to make money in with with any sports franchise, especially in arguably the biggest market in the nation. I, you know, they just can't seem to put it all together. <laughs> um, back to the, the Mets pitching. Um, Please. Uh, yes. Cause I'm sure, I'm sure <laughs> Mets ownership talk and finances is probably a daily occurrence in your life. And you probably don't like spending all that much time about it. Um, they added Dylan Batances this uh, offseason. I thought that was a, a massive get for the Mets because we, we was, you saw what he did with the Yankees. He's got such a, a good, I guess, repertoire, and he's got such a, you know, he's got good velocity. He's just an overall, he's a good reliever, and and at one point he was viewed as a potential heir to the closer in, in the Bronx, but now he's over in Queens. And yes, adding Batances to this bullpen uh, is huge. I mean, yeah, he, he was uh, an absolute stud in the Bronx for a long time. Uh, you know, had a little, had some injury issues, uh, looked to have come out on the other side, you know, healthy and, and raring to go. His velocity was a little down this spring. But, you know, with the guys around him in this bullpen, Edwin Diaz, who's coming off a horrendous season, so is Jerry's Familia. But uh, these guys, their potential is just so, so high. Uh even if they pitch to career averages, um, it's going to be a, they're going to be a force. Seth Lugo is arguably one of the best relievers in the National League. Uh, Justin Wilson had a fantastic year last year. Bullpen death is something that the Mets historically um, haven't always had. <laughs> you know, there, there have been high points, but boy, like a weak bullpen seems to be this team's or just going back forever. Their Achilles heel going back to Armando Benitez in the, in the 90s and early 2000s. But um, just the, the depth there is, is just so exciting. Even like um, like cog guys like like uh, Robert Gazelman and, and Brad Brock. Um, you know, th- these are pitchers who can get outs, who who don't necessarily need to, to face a righty or a lefty to, to get guys out. Brock came here last uh, July or August, something like that. And um, Phil Regan, who's 82 years old, mm-hmm. he used to, you know, he, he was the pitching coach last season. He's still in the organization in an advisory role. He got Brock to start using his cutter more. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it, it, you know, it turned into an absolute weapon for him, him and Stroman as well. So 
you know, now with, uh, I guess they have Jeremy Hefner, former MLB pitcher, as the pitching coach. Jeremy Ricardo, another former MLBer. Uh, he's the assistant pitching coach. These are two very uh, ana- analytically based or analytically minded coaches. Um, they came with the price tag, or not the price tag, with the description that, you know, they're going to be able to, to, take this information and give it to the players in a digestible format so they can apply it to their on-field performance. And, you know, early returns coming back are that they were doing a very good job of passing along this information. I know Steven Matz had a lot to say. Um, Edwin Diaz, uh, just from clips we saw in a little bit in the spring, he looked to be pitching with a little bit more confidence, which is such a, such a big thing for him. You know, the, the, the potential is there, at least from the pitching staff all around. Um, just kind of got to bring it all together and, and hope that we get a season in. Cause really uh, it was, uh, we were certainly excited. It's a tough division, but as a fan, I was certainly very excited for this year. Yeah. Familia and Diaz definitely need to, uh, I guess, have bounce back seasons, but you mentioned Seth Lugo and it seems like the Mets are very high on Seth Lugo. I, I know there was discussions of them exploring the potential of him even being inserted into the starting rotation, but it seems like they're having him as a reliever, just kind of an all around pitcher to use when they need to get out of a jam or if there's a very crucial inning to maybe go an inning or two I think that that would probably be a better role for him considering the depth of the rotation at this moment in time it's just it seems like they're very high on what Seth Lugo can provide the Mets yeah I mean he's been head and shoulders more effective as a reliever um as compared to a starter uh he's made his wishes known that he still wants to be a starter and he's not gonna not want to be a starter anytime soon but, um, you know, he's he, he kind of puts that aside for the, you know, to get, you know, for the team and which is the fans just adore him for it. But, um, you know, he's certainly talented enough to be in the rotation. He has been pitching with a partial tear in his elbow for the past two seasons. So, you know, if they do let him go an inning or two, uh, more than one inning, I should say, uh, which they do somewhat often, they can't let him pitch the next day. I just don't see how they would risk putting him out there for seven innings and something going wrong. I know he gets five days off after, but, you know, we've seen him perform well in the starting role before, but he's just so effective out of the bullpen. And um, unless things change dramatically, I don't see them. I I don't see the team kind of letting letting off on that. But uh, you never know. A couple of guys go down. There's not a lot of ready minor league depth. Uh, to jump in and start, you have like a Walker Lockett down there. You have um, David Peterson, who was a top draft pick a couple of years ago. But uh, I- I'm not—I I couldn't tell you with uh, with with certainty that they'd be more effective than Seth Lugo as a starter. So, yeah, if they if if that bridge does present itself, they're going to have to decide how to cross it. Uh, interesting scenario I, I just thought of. If maybe they could deploy him in some sort of opener type role where they have him pitch the first inning, maybe even the second inning or parts of it just to get through the, you know, the top of a team's lineup or their best hitters, then maybe hand it off to somebody like Porcello or Waka to try and ease them into a game facing the lesser hitters in a lineup. Um, yeah, I, that's been floated and I know, uh, the fan base is kind of torn on it. Personally, I, I'd be all for that. And then Seth Luger came out and had a statement. I'm going to paraphrase him cause I don't remember the exact quote, but, um, uh, openers don't have a place in baseball, I believe. Okay. Yeah, it's something to that effect. So yeah. uh, I don't believe he's on board with that. But again, he's given every uh, – he's given every – you know, 
every time that he's given the opportunity to either make a stink about still being in the bullpen when he doesn't want to be or, you know, just going out there and doing well to make the team better, he, he always just, you know, he puts the team first and, and it's so appreciated. The fans love to see it. And uh, and his his play, uh, it backs it up. I mean, I don't know if you're into like spin rate and stuff like that, but he his his curveball is elite. Uh, he's really locating with his fastball so much more effective. He's not scared to come inside to hitters. Um, yeah, he, he's he's maybe one of the um, more unheralded uh, power arms that you'll see in the National League coming out of a bullpen. Like he's right up there with Kirby Yates, but nobody talks about Seth Lugo. Yeah, nobody talks about Seth Lugo because, I mean, you look at the, the Mets bullpen, they have names that people recognize um, because they were doing, I guess, they were either part of a trade or they were oh, yeah. performing at a certain level in a different place. You know, someone like Batances or even Familia was traded before he came back. And, you know, Diaz was so good in Seattle that people talk about those guys as focus points and not maybe not necessarily Seth Lugo. So he sort of flies under the radar to, let's say, the average person. But to someone who either pays attention to the Mets or just is really into baseball, Seth Lugo is definitely on their radar. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, you know, for, for us, yeah, of course. You know, how could he not be? But um, you'd be surprised. He doesn't get the... um. I don't want to say he doesn't get the respect that he deserves, but uh, he's not the hard. Like, like, yeah, I agree with you. the hardcore fan knows who Seth Lugo is. But, um, you know, your casual fan, when they think of best relievers in the National League, I could say nine out of ten from around the country would not say Seth Lugo. And he's right up there, man. I, I'm really he, his his progress has been uh, just so sharp. It's, you know, we saw it when he came up as a starter. When they put him in the bullpen, it was night and day. He was just so, so, so nasty. Oh. <laughs> now I miss baseball. <laughs> Even more than I did. Yeah, me too. And there's a, a possible return to baseball. Uh, there's the nothing's in stone. I mean, it's probably a lot farther away than anyone possibly thinks it is. But a Potential return to baseball would mean some sort of alignment where National League teams and American League teams would be in the same division, meaning that they would have to adopt a universal DH. Now, I don't know if you're necessarily in favor of it or if you're against it, but from National League teams, it seems like the the Mets are one of the few that are actually well-suited for this. They are, and I am. I am um, in favor of a universal DH. And very quickly, it took me a long time to come to that. I was very much – I'm 36, and uh, I, you know, I've been watching baseball since I was like seven. <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I was very much staunchly for traditionalist baseball. I, that's you – know, pitchers hit. It's the National League game, da-da-da-da-da. After doing the whole interleague thing, which I must say has gone a little bit stale in recent years mm-hmm. – um, Either do it all the way or split them all back up, but that's another discussion. Uh, I am all for the universal DH. I, I don't think that as National League fans, we're going to miss the pitcher hitting. I think that, you know, maybe for a couple of games, we'll be like, oh, yeah, this is weird. We won't see. Jacob DeGrom is actually a really good hitter. Um, that's what I would miss, but I don't think that we would miss that at all. Now you look at the Mets roster. Now you have so many candidates who could slide into that role. Um J.D. Davis, who doesn't really have a position but has one of the more potent bats in uh, in, in the league, um, he would have 
a, a permanent roving spot between left field and the DH spot, and maybe some third base. You have someone like, <clears throat> excuse me, Dominic Smith, who is a terrific hitter, a terrific fielder, but doesn't really have a spot because he's a first baseman. And we have Pete Alonso. Um, it, many people don't remember that him and Alonso came into to the 2019 season um, platooning at first. And Alonso just, you know, <laughs> he didn't make that much of a platoon. He, he kind of took that job and ran with it. But Dominic Smith um, had a, a, an outstanding year. He was he 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 actually lobbied the organization to play left field, which he hadn't played a lot previously. Um, he had his ups and downs, but his bat really didn't cool off. And then he had some foot issues. He had a stress fracture. Um, was missed two and a half months towards the end of the year. He came back for the last game of the season, hit a walk off three run homer. So uh, he certainly has a spot in the lineup as a DH. And then you look at Yoana Cespedes, who, you know, he's coming off of double heel surgery. He broke his ankle thanks to that boar in Florida on his, <laughs> on his ranch. Um, we don't know how he's going to look in the outfield. Now he's a workout maniac and he might come back, you know, in tip top shape, but we, we don't really know that. And what if he needs a rest? Well, now we have a DH spot and we have, you know, we saw just him taking batting practice and he's still mashing. So we have to assume that's still there. That's another huge weapon to have in that spot. Um, and if Jed Lowry, even, you know, he doesn't really have a position if he's healthy. We have never seen him actually play the field yet for the Mets. Uh, he took, he took eight at bats last year. That's all he, uh, that's all he did for his 10 million. But that's besides the point. <laughs> uh, if he comes back healthy, which was somewhat close to happening, um, he could possibly, you know, see some at bats in that spot. It just kind of lengthens the roster. And with, you know, <laughs> there's so much talent strewn about. I mean, you have Brandon Nimmo, Jeff McNeil, Alonzo, Michael Conforto, Ahmed Rosario, who's going to be a star. You know, he led the National League in hits last in the second half last year. I did not know that, but that's very interesting. Lots. It is really interesting, but there's so much talent here and the ability to kind of mix and match and everybody's versatile in the field. And, you know, now shortcomings won't be exploited so much because you have that D8 spot and you can hide your bad fielder in that spot and work matchups. And I, you know, this it could be such a, a good opportunity for this team to do well. Um, you, you have to just you have to just hope that we get some baseball to play and uh, safety has to be paramount. But. As long as it's safe, man, I hope they can get something in. Yeah, uh, a lot of guys you mentioned there, a lot of guys you, you know, play multiple positions. Uh, Jeff McNeil can play in multiple positions. He can play in the outfield. He can play in the infield. J.D. Davis is another guy. Jed Lowry is something. <laughs> I'll put him at that because <laughs> we don't know what he is for the Nets. But there is there is one player I think is a is a prime candidate for to see a lot of time at DH, and that's Robinson Cano. And it's mostly because sure. I, I know there was – speculation or discussion before last season in the breakout of Pete Alonso, but some thought that he his eventual position was going to be possibly first base. Well, that's not going to happen. And if they got to <laughs> go to a DH, Robinson Cano, if he shows any sort of ability to still hit, he seems like a prime DH candidate. Oh, for sure. And um, he dealt with some injury issues last year as well. But uh, had a very, very strong second half. And I know, you know, Mets fans are going to look past that and they're only going to look at the trade. And we gave up Kellenic for uh, uh, for his services. And I think that one's going to hurt us in the long run big time. But I, th I still think Cano has a lot to offer. And he's not, you know, he, he's not a stone in the field yet. <laughs> you know, he's getting up there in age, but he can still field his position pretty well. Um, 
his bat is certainly his calling card. It always has been. And uh, we saw it. You know, we saw it with our own eyes in the second half last year. If he can keep that going, uh, and you do have guys to kind of fill in at second, and you have to get them some reps, you know, again, you could stash him in the DH spot. I think it was inevitable that the NL was going to adopt it in the next couple of years anyway. But, you know, if this is going to be the um, the instance that ushers it in, I- I'm all for it. Yeah, I think I'm I'm fine with that. And especially with this roster, I think that uh, Mets fans should be very, very happy if that does happen. Yeah, it just seems like they have a lot of guys that they can kind of sort of plug in in certain spots. You know, you can play with the lineup from time to time. Maybe certain guys have better track records against certain pitchers, and you can... I mean, I know some players don't like being moved around, but some guys actually thrive moving uh, from position to position. I mean, there was a, <clears throat> a long-time uh, Tampa Bay Rain Chicago Cub player, Ben Zobrist. He was fantastic sure. moving all over the field. And it seems like there's a couple guys on the Mets that can do that with you know guys like Lowry and McNeil and Davis. Oh, definitely. And um, just the versatility. I, I do wish they would have gone out and got a true center fielder. And that's not a knock on Brandon Nimmo. He's a very capable center fielder. But um, I think that was the the defense was such an issue for this team last year. I think second worst defensive run saved in the in the majors. But um, I think that's really the only true hole that and, and, you know, they could have gone in a higher class of starting pitcher. But um. Yeah, I, I think that they did all they could on a, I'm going to say a presumably limited budget because we don't really get any any updates on that. We just kind of see the results. So we have to assume that they, they don't have much money to spend. So um, I, I, I I do think that there's a competitive team. I think the, the DH could be a, a, a certainly an advantage for, for this roster and especially in this division. <laughs> How the division shake up, we'll see, but. Uh, I, I believe it's still going to be a, you know, an NL East, but they're only going to play within the division and and then the AL East. Uh, gonna... Atlanta gets swapped out at the NL East for Pittsburgh. Really? For the for the for the three the three division ten team thing? Oh yeah, because yeah, yeah. Uh... Atlanta and Pittsburgh get swapped out from each other. Right. And right, right, right. That's the only real switch. And <laughs> taking it back to uh, pre-1994. Yeah, I guess. Uh, so <laughs> that's an interesting little little quirk with it because, it's you know, a team like Atlanta and a team like Pittsburgh are going to play teams that they very that they don't see as much as they normally do. And, you know, teams in the <clears throat> AL East that they almost never see. So just an interesting little, little twist to that uh, with that potential 10-team uh, division. For the uh, what would be the Eastern Division? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it could be. Um, it could be wild. I, I guess you know the luster has kind of come off the Subway Series every year. Like in 2000, it was amazing. You know, that's the, the that was uh, untoppable. Even though the Mets lost, that was still uh, you know, the entire region was just absolutely electric. But um, yeah, I guess the interleague series every year, it kind of lost its shine. But um. Yeah, I guess, you know, it'd be cool to play the Red Sox once in a while. I mean, you see a lot of talent coming out of the AL East. If we have to get lined up with the with the Rays and the Yankees and the Red Sox, um, yeah, that could be a, a tough go. But I believe, you know, I, I it looks like they're going to be playing their actual interdivision rivals 
more so than the American League. Well, uh, I guess their their AL counterparts that would be new division mates. Mm-hmm. But again, these are all just proposals floating around. But uh, yeah, I, I you know I think in any capacity, I'd just be excited to see baseball. <laughs> um, yeah, that's 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 definitely a good point. Um, I gotta ask, uh, you know, City Field is their is their stadium. They replaced the, I guess, the much beloved Shea Stadium. What is your opinion <laughs> of City Field? City Field is gorgeous. I mean, it's, uh, it, it really. I mean, coming from Shea, where all you could do was go in, go to your seat, and watch the game. Like, I guess I'm sort of, I guess, impartial to that. I I, I enjoyed that aspect of. There's no whistles, no bells, just. Go watch baseball. Um, City Field kind of went the other way. You know, there's just there's restaurants, there's bars, there's fancy concessions. It's not just your general hot dog and pretzels and 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 whatever. Uh, you know, it's it's fun for the family. Like they want you to walk around. It's a 360 view of the whole stadium. It's absolutely beautiful. It's a great place to see a ball game. Um, you know, unfortunately, we've only seen it really. You know, shake. Uh, a handful of times since it's opened, but yeah, no, the magic, um, the magic is there and it's not Shea stadium. You know, that'll always have a, a special place in my heart. I grew up in that place, but, um, no city field is, is really, it's a terrific ballpark. Um, I, you know, you'd wish that, I don't know how I could say it. Um, it's cozy, but you kind of wish it was a little more dumpy just to kind of make it feel like home. Because Shea Stadium, that would, like, I, I'm trying to figure a nice way to put it. I have an R-rated way to put it. It, it was you can, our, you can it say was it any, our, You can say it any way you would like. Oh, man, it was a shithole, but it was our shithole. <laughs> like, we love that place. And, and uh, yeah, I just wish the city field had a little more grunge to it. It does not. No, I was just I was just wondering because I know some people you know they have that sentiment about uh, Shea Stadium where it's it was a shithole but it was our shithole type thing or you know <laughs> it was a dump or it but it was our dump type thing, you know uh, I made a trip out to City Field last year but last September and I thought the stadium was absolutely beautiful. Oh, and, gorgeous! Right? Yeah, it was awesome. I I, I stayed in Queens. I, I rode the the seven line down to the stadium. Oh, a, you see, you're you're official, man. You're in. Yeah, I, I had a great time. I, I it was um, it was Mets Dodgers a Saturday night game in September. Uh, it was Jacob Degrom versus uh, uh, Ryu who, when he was still on the Dodgers, and uh, Rajay Davis had that uh, bases loaded double that gave the Mets the the win that night. Yeah, that pretty much. I want to say that pretty much locked up Degrom's um, Cy Young. Yeah, that was a great I mean, game. Yeah. I, I had a fun time, and just like you said, I, I walked all around the stadium. You know, I, I just different spots in the game. I found different places to you know hang out, and watch from different vantage points. It was it was really awesome. I had a really great time there. Oh, they did no, they really did did a terrific job with it. Um, I don't know if you've checked out Citizens Bank Park in Philadelphia. Uh, outstanding ballpark. Um, you know, <laughs> I'm not always welcomed with smiles just because <laughs> of the the jersey that I'm wearing when I go in there, but. Uh, absolutely you know top notch and um they opened up a little bit before city field and i had been down there and we checked it out we're like oh this is nice we can't wait for city field to open and and uh i really think that you know city field is is right up there as one of the best newer ballparks in uh in the league it's just you know really just gorgeous gorgeous place yeah i've only been to a handful of stadiums i've been to um uh progressive field i've been to city field 
been to Comerica Park and I've been to Old Tiger Stadium, and that's it. Um, <laughs> uh, I had plans to see other ones this year, but of course, uh, probably not going to happen. Yeah. Um, but City Field was fantastic. Um, d- definitely of the of the ones I've been to, that's on the the top half of the ones I've been to. Let's put it that way. Nice. Um, just it was a very. Even though uh, you know New York has a certain reputation, it was a very welcoming environment. Oh yeah, no, and you know you'll 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 see the best of of Mets fans if you, you come and hang out at the park, and you know you'll see a lot more positive than negatives. There's there's you know you can go to any any ballpark in America, and you're going to see the jerks mm-hmm. uh, who had one too many and and what have you. But uh, no, we're a, we're a loving community. We're not a you know I can't say what we'll do when Phillies or Nationals fans start whipping it up in the stands, we might start yelling or, you know, I can't speak for all of us. We might be a tough crowd at times, but, um, you know, we love our team and, uh, yeah, we, we're always, I know personally always happy that, you know, you see a Nationals or a Braves or a Phillies fan in the stadium. You say, you say hi, you smile, you say, Hey, you know, enjoy the game. Um, cause you know, 99 times out of a hundred, everyone's just looking to have a nice time. It's, it's really, it's a, you know, it's kind of the bringing everybody together. That's what baseball's about. And I think that, uh, we all kind of need that right now. Yeah. It was like you just said, it was, it was, it was very, very nice. Uh, and I was at one point standing next to some, to some drunk asshole who had one too many. He just kept, <laughs> he, he, I don't know if he thought that the Dodgers on the field could hear him, but he was, I was standing behind like home plate on the concourse, so I was watching the pitches. You know, I could, was watching the at bats, and this guy was just yelling. I'm like, look at this. I'm like, I mean, you're you're kind of entertaining me, but you're also on that that edge of you're being kind of annoying at the same time. Yeah, and usually you don't find that that edge because you can <laughs> feel that edge when it's around, and um, that's kind of what turned me off to going to Subway Series games when the Yankees were in town. And, it, you know, because you get all these Yankee fans and it's, you know, I have some of my best friends are Yankee fans. It's just how it is in New York. You have, you know, your family split in half, but you kind of just live with it. But, um, yeah, uh, you know, it, 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 you could feel the tension and you could feel it during interdivision games. But during Mets Yankees games, especially like a Friday night or a Saturday night game when everyone's kind of <laughs> well lubricated to say, um, <laughs> it, it just it gets uh it just it gets a little hectic and you know you feel it and that's that's the side of the game that you know you don't i i personally don't really enjoy but um you rarely see it really it, it's it's a, a few and far between especially at you know the places you know all around it, you could even go to yankee stadium and have a great 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 day like just it's the power of baseball it's great yeah and i, I do plan on making a trip to yankee stadium at some point um there was one aspect of City Field that I know a lot of people were not necessarily happy with upon it opening, and it's not because of the player; it's because of the team, and that was the the rotunda of the you know the main entrance and how much mm-hmm. it was Dodgers focused, and I, I yeah. know that it drew some um, negative reviews from fans. A little bit, and I know that you know I think the Mets had an angle. So when they opened, they had the Jackie Robinson rotunda and it's the whole rotunda is dedicated to Jackie Robinson. It's a, just a beautiful, beautiful dedication. Um, just it's a wonderful thing. But and that was fine. That's cool. We all know that Fred Wilpon was a huge Dodgers fan when he was growing up as a kid and everybody loves Jackie Robinson. And that's great. It was really, really cool. Um, 
But then you go in and the walls of the outfield walls were all black with an orange line on the top. Mm-hmm. They said, oh, we did that for the Giants to look back on our New York National League roots. And, you know, I dig it. That's a cool angle and, and that's nice. But just give me blue walls with an orange trim because this is the Mets stadium. And maybe let's put like a, a number 31 or, or a number eight for Gary Carter or something next to Jackie Robinson's down there. Like, let's make it a big Mets thing and a little Jackie Robinson thing. Like, they could have gone a number of different ways. And um, I guess this year they're scheduled to – I think it's already built. It's just waiting to be unveiled. Uh, a Tom Seaver statue, mm-hmm. which should have been there before any Jackie Robinson dedication. But – um. You know, they're finally getting around to doing that, and they changed the color of the walls a few years after they opened. So they're certainly listening to the fan base. And, um, you know, I, I, again, back to the back to the ownership group, I think they do want to please everybody, and they do want to bring a winner back here. But uh, with that, that, that hourglass is just about running out. And, uh, yeah, they didn't really fulfill their uh, what they hoped to, as you could probably uh, imagine. Yeah, uh, and sometimes it just sort of happens. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and it's very unfortunate. Uh, one last question for you about City Field. Uh, then, sure. Then uh, I think we can wrap this up here. Uh, they, <clears throat> The initial dimensions of the field were deeper than they were. what they are now. They brought the fences in. The, there was you know the Great Wall of Flushing and all that stuff. Did you prefer... <laughs> the the interesting um way of the of the field or do you like it closer in no i think they they got it right now um they had to make the adjustments now all right so when the mets moved into city field which was 2009 uh their the you know their superstar was david wright mm-hmm. david wright's power alley uh, he was a right-handed hitter but he would send it um opposite field he'd send it to the right center field uh l- excuse me Right center field gap. The right-handed hitter, he would send it opposite field, but that was his power alley. So at Shea Stadium, that became a staple. David Wright would send it off the scoreboard in right center. That was his spot. They get to City Field, and um, you know, it's around 30 feet further than where it was. And I don't know if it got in players' heads, or at least that spot for David Wright, but all, all the dimensions were just so, so far back. And uh, the, the the Mets suffered, man. Their power numbers suffered. I believe their in 2011 or 2012, their highest home run total was 11. I think that that was their their season, their their team leader for the year. Lucas Duda, I want to say. I might be off on the number, but it was in the teens. And uh, yeah, it just it gotten. I don't know if it got in their heads or what, but how they didn't build a stadium kind of tailor made for your star players especially David Wright, who's the face of your franchise. Uh, you know, it, I don't want to say it, it derailed his career because injuries did that. And he still raked through those years, even with further fences. But uh, yeah, I think they, they, they certainly got it. Um, they didn't get it right the first time, but they have gotten it. They have corrected it since. I just pulled up the 2011 Mets. The uh, home run leader was David Wright with 14 there you go. Jason okay. Bay had 12, and Jason Lucas Bay. Duda had 10. Ah, see, I was off. Maybe I thought it was. I thought it was. I thought Duda led the way, but oh well. Uh, the, but yeah, there, no, they, there very well could have been a year where Lucas Duda led the way with a very low home run total. <laughs> total. Uh, let me oh, pull, yeah. Let me pull up his career numbers real quick here. And, oh man, 
Lucas Duda was an un- underrated, um, underrated on base guy. He-, he carried like a 500 on base percentage into June one season. That's insane. Yeah, yeah. I- I- he-, he he was um, when he would connect, he would send balls further than I've ever seen baseballs hit. Um, you guys saw a bunch of Adam Dunn. He was in Cincinnati. I know that, but uh, I'm sure you guys saw a bunch of him out there. Adam Dunn hit the longest home run I've ever seen hit at City Field. It went over the Shea Bridge in deep, deep right center. It went over oh, the bridge. Wow, that's that's really yeah. far. I, I, I stood out there at the start of the game I was at last year. You know, yeah, I'm, yeah, over I'm, that bridge. I'm familiar with Adam Dunn. He spent some time in the uh, the AL Central with the White Sox for a couple years. And, right, right, right. Yeah. Oh man, that dude just hit bombs. Yeah, well, Duda. When Duda connected, that's who he reminded me of. Because he would just him and Jim Tomey, which Jim Tomey's right up, right up your guys' alley out there. But yeah, um, yeah, just an absolute beast. I wish, um, I wish things could have panned out more, and I wish he would have made that throw to home plate in Game Five of the World Series. <sighs> uh, that's actually. Uh, so you just reminded me of something. Are, have you seen the thing floating around Twitter uh, referred to as the Mets misery bracket that came oh, out yeah. a couple months ago? What yeah, are your What are your uh, opinions on that? Because that some of these things on there are some of the most wild things I've ever seen. I don't think there's enough spots on any bracket in the world to we could have filled up two of those brackets. <laughs> That's the common sentiment I've heard is that they could have filled up an entire other bracket with stuff just as absurd as the stuff on this. Oh man, we've had we've had some doozies here. I think uh, the '99 Mets uh, in the the New York Times, no less. Not like one of the the posts of the Daily News. In the New York Times, had a picture of like three Mets taking bong hits or something. Like you know, we've had just the oddest stories come out. I mean, you ain't assessed, but it's got attacked by a wild boar. <laughs> I, I just can you really top that? I mean, there are a lot of these on here. Um... I mean, I'm, I'm looking at one, and one of these, I, I just pulled that up right now. One of them is just Jason Bay. That just... <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's all you need. No, uh, no. And, and you know what? I think that's unfair to Jason Bay. Jason Bay um, was took a nasty concussion off the left field wall at at City Field and was never the same. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, now even before he got hurt, though, he really wasn't adjusting to New York well. But uh, didn't have time to really prove himself because he got hurt. And uh, same thing with Ryan Church. Ryan Church was a great talent. Got a concussion in Los Angeles going over the wall. And they let him get on an airplane. And that fucked yeah, him yeah, up. Yeah. Oh, excuse, me. That, excuse me. That screwed him up. <laughs> I, you can say whatever you want here. I know. I just try to be polite. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just some of the things on here are just absolutely insane. Oh, and it yeah. just, it, it's just It seems like it's completely made up sometimes when you're just looking at at some of the things that's my buddy that's that's my buddy 90 percent match right oh yeah 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 yeah, it's that's 90 what's up 90 (laughs) i'll get him to listen hey good guy (laughs) but it's just oh my god Uh, the fact that the stephen cohen non-sales on here just it, it speaks to the i guess level of misery i guess uh, that you guys oh. have, have gone through. It takes a special breed, man. Uh, I mean, you oh, guys, perfect. City Indians, Field's original are... design is on uh, is on the list. That's funny. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it's a, oh. the the bottom of the Midwest region of 15 seeds. City Field's original design. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey I, that's awesome. Yeah, we've uh, you know we've had some some odd odd moments here. I mean, you know, it's the Mets. 
I've, you know, at this point, you kind of expect it. And, you know, you're an Indians fan. You guys have been in some sort of drought for a long time, but at least Mm -hmm. you had good times. Like, you know, Davis is home run. I mean, does that kind of, does it make, does it make it hurt more? Or was that like just somewhat fulfilling? The, the the problem is, or it just at least for me, every single time I see that highlight, it, you still get those butterflies in your stomach because yeah. of the, it, even though it's you know four years later, you still get that feeling of how massive and how much that shifted the momentum of the game at the time. Huge and and just knowing how everything uh, ended with a um, a questionable rain delay. Um, yeah. That now, now the Indians have the longest active World Series drought. Yeah, you know, dating back to 1948. I mean, and the Indians have done a, a handful of stupid things, uh, not to the level of of the Mets here, but I mean, I, I do know that one of the uh, the items here is um, what was it? it? Was trading Marlon Bird on his T shirt night? Is that what it was? They did. They traded him that day, and it was his T-shirt night that night. The the Indians did something similar. They traded Victor Martinez before his backpack thing, oh. like later in the week. So it, Yo, it's, Victor, Victor Martinez was a beast for the Indians. Yeah, and he still get, carved out a decent career with the the Tigers for a minute. I mean, oh, he did, but but you like, I, I you saw it coming. Like you saw what he was doing in Cleveland, and it, I, I you know you guys you know as a fan that must have been a, quite a loss, right? Yeah, but the the team was just. They were, they had to retool and rebuild, and that just that's just how it goes. Yeah. Um, especially with a, a team like Cleveland and the market they're in, and it's and their bad television deal uh, that they have, and they're heavily dependent on attendance, and attendance has not been a their strong suit for a long time. Well, I remember, you know, when I was a kid. They had the longest sellout streak in the history of the majors, correct? They did, and um, I'm I'm glad you brought that up because there there are several factors in in that whole thing that sort of lead in to why it happened. And you know, it was they just opened the stadium. Yep. Uh, so Jake, they, Jake Jacobs Field. Yeah, it was Jacobs Field at the time. Yeah. And people still call it the Jake here. Um, nice. So they left the new state. They left the left Cleveland Municipal Stadium down by the lake. They came down to uh, to Jacobs Field, and so all these people were you know new stadium. Everyone gets excited. Everyone buys season ticket packages. You know, corporate sponsors, corporate groups get multi year suite deals and stuff like that. And the team just sure. happened to be good, so that just helped propel everything. You add in the fact that the Browns left in the mid nineties, so that's a sports team that people aren't necessarily spending money on anymore. So that's, yeah. you now have just freed up funds and Hey, look, the Indians are here and they're good. Let's go, let's go to Indians games. And oh, the, sure. the, the Cavs were, were the Cavs were meh. Then they sort of faded towards the end of the, the late nineties and early two thousands. But it, it's not a coincidence that the end of their streak, not only coincided with, you know, the end of that team, but the fact that the Browns came back and it looked like they were going to be a team. Turns out they weren't. They <laughs> start. Um, and the Cavs end up drafting LeBron James. And that, that was over. It, it, it That put the the attendance 
I guess, uh, you know, heyday for the Indians. That ended it, essentially. Yeah, and I guess when CC came back around, um, that kind of revived the fan base, right? Yeah, people people liked watching the team, but people still didn't go to games. The highest they've been in attendance since 2002 is ninth in the American League. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, people just, they don't go to Indians games. They just don't. Drastic change. And... Unfortunately, during the this last go around, when they even when they went to the World Series, uh, people had no interest or had uh, money uh, tied up elsewhere because LeBron James was back, and so everyone was spending yeah, money right. on Cavs games. It's spending on kind of a perfect storm. And uh, you know the Browns had another false start where they looked like they were going to be something, <laughs> and so it's just yeah. it just never lines up for them. And we're, we're about to end, uh, not end, but we can see the end of a competitive cycle approaching. Yeah. Um, and it's yeah, going to Frank... definitely... Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, you can no, go no, no, I was, I was going to say, I think Francona can get a couple more years out of these guys. I like the young core. Um, I love Mercado. Mercado is a great pickup. I'm very, I'm very uh, excited about that. He was someone that... Really didn't get any attention uh, when they acquired him, but when once he started playing and started hitting, it's like they they might have got something here. Yeah, that's that's what it looks like. Um, yeah, very excited with him. I think that you guys are going to really enjoy Caesar Hernandez. I think that he's going to impress you guys. He's got a really really nice bat, plays an excellent field. Um, you know, he's not going to uh, he's not going to lead the way by any means as far as uh, his offensive prowess i mean he, he's gonna he's gonna bring it every night and he's gonna do it but he's gonna be more just a everyday regular guy as opposed to uh a superstar but i think you guys can be very very impressed by him and um i i, I love framo reyes i'm not sure if you know i'm also a padres fan oh okay i got hooked, I got hooked on tony gwynn when i was like a, a little little kid uh, how can you and, get uh, hooked, hooked on tony gwynn tony gwynn's fantastic Oh man, it was the best. Dude, I would go to the library just to see microfiche of the, the previous <laughs> night's game because it was never in the newspaper here. But um, big Fran Reyes fan. Now, I want to ask you do you think giving up Mejia and Tremel for uh, essentially for Reyes and Logan Allen, do you think that was a fair, a fair deal? Um, considering. Um, see, Mejia was the year. Before. Oh, I'm sorry. God, yeah, yep. Yeah. <laughs> my fault. Mejia was before. Mejia was before. We we trade. This was the Trevor Bauer deal. That's right. That's right. Yep. That sent him to Cincinnati. We ended up getting uh, Puig and um, Reyes and Logan Allen. Uh, Francisco Mejia went for Brad Hand and Adam Simber. That's right. That's right. Which, considering yep. where, where Mejia is currently and what we've gotten out of Brad Hand and um, I I have a affinity for uh, pitchers with strange deliveries, so I absolutely love Adam Simber. I was a huge Joe Smith fan when he was on the Indians for a long time. I just love that. Smith, hey, he was he, he was a Met first. We were I'm a big <laughs> Joe Smith fan, and so I've, I always like the submarine guys. This is a different look. It, it messes up with guys. I want to bring up another former Met in a second, but um. Yeah, I think they're I think they're doing well currently because it doesn't seem like Francisco Mejia right now is everything everyone thought he was going to be, and he's not even um, necessarily an everyday player for the Padres right now. No, um, yeah, he's they got hedges in front of him. They got Campesano coming up behind him. Um, I think he's got a bright future, Mejia, 
but uh, it might not be in San Diego. <laughs> yeah, and it seems like this is a situation where the, the Indians traded prospects away to get a known commodity. When yeah, and, Usually and it's the reverse. And Han's been terrific. I mean, that slider is absolutely devastating. Now, another former Met I wanted to bring up was the one, the only, Oliver Perez. <laughs> Ali, he's still doing it. I love Oliver Perez. Please, I want to hear all about him. I love Oliver Perez. One of my favorite things about Perez is that he changes his delivery timing. Yeah. So I absolutely love that. Because you just see, like, the, the, the hitter starts thinking. And once they start thinking, they're screwed. It's just... You know, he'll, he'll pause and just hold his leg up there for like three, four, five seconds. Then he'll deliver the ball or then sometimes just quick pitch. It's just it's it's yeah. so entertaining to watch. And I absolutely love that he's able to still keep things going, even though I don't know how much longer he's going to be able to do it for. Not because of performance, because of the three batter minimum rule. Yeah. And at, what was it, 2018? He had a sub two ERA or something like that. It was it was something stupid like that. Uh, let me pull oh, up uh, Oliver Perez's stats, but um... just terrific. But all right, so Ali Perez, um, it's funny. He came to the Mets in a he was a throw in. All right, so Dwayne or Sanchez, Duaner Sanchez. My apologies. Yes. Um, Duaner Sanchez got into a car accident in a taxi in Miami. Part of the Mets misery like, bracket. They, oh, it's in there. Cool, great, <laughs> perfect. It, it has to be. So we needed a reliever. So we traded Xavier Nady, who was absolutely terrific for the 2006 Mets up until that point, sent him to Pittsburgh for Roberto Hernandez, uh, a reliever, and Ali Perez, who um, had a very nice start in Pittsburgh, kind of flamed out. Uh, really, he, he put together some very, very nice stretches for the Mets over the next few years, um, was an integral part. Uh, in the playoff team 06, uh, nobody remembers how good he was in game seven of the NLC- NLCS. He was outstanding before Heilman let up that home run to um, to uh, Yadi Molina. Excuse me. But he got an extension and at some point everything changed. And I don't know if he got inside his own head or he just wasn't effective anymore. And uh, the fans really, really got on him. And um, it's sad because that's how everybody around here remembers Ali Perez was that the guy who didn't live up to his contract. But, you know, I remember Ali Perez as the guy who showed up and energized the crowd. And, yeah, he might put he might give you a stinker once a month, but uh, he could also strike out 12 in a night. Like uh, just to see him kind of resurrect his career, not even resurrect, just continue being effective in Washington and then with Cleveland. Uh, it's really, um, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm in the minority in New York, but, uh, very, very cool to see. And, uh, yeah, really big, big Ollie fan. Yeah. One, three, nine ERA in 2018. Unreal. Absolutely absurd. Well, his ERA plus, and again, this is off the top of my head. It's somewhere in like the one eighties, right? Let me see if I can find it. One, seven, four. Jesus. My goodness. That is, uh, that is a heck of a year. And again, he's used sparingly and he's used in the right spots. But just to be so crafty at that age, um, clearly not the pitcher that he used to be. Uh, you don't see a lot of young pitchers or any pitchers kind of embrace that change. I mean, you saw Tom Glavin do it. That's the one that comes to my mind mm-hmm. uh, where just he wasn't a fireballer anymore. So he had to kind of embrace being a pitcher and he was never really going to blow you away. But uh he upped his control and 
you know, I think that's what Ali was all about. And, you know, it's funny when he used to tinker with his delivery here, um, the pitching coach at the time, Rick Peterson, I believe, mm-hmm. maybe it was someone else after him. They would they would give him shit for it. They would give him a hard time. They tell you, don't do that. Just pitch. <laughs> in so many words, I, I but, just uh, absolutely love that he does that because you you just it's he doesn't have you know the velocity anymore. He might not have the movement that he once had, but any little advantage to disrupt timing, he takes it, and it's fantastic. It's good, and Strowman does the same thing, and I think um, it, it's certainly a plus. It keeps hitters on their toes. I know. I mean, if if I'm in the box and a pitcher's doing that, I'm gonna be pissed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm be like, stop doing that. Just throw the ball. <laughs> Yeah, last time uh, Oliver Perez started the game was with the Mets back in 2010. He has been a reliever ever since leaving Queens. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, he just uh, something something fell apart, something broke down, and uh, he was not the same pitcher. But maybe getting out of New York was all he needed, and we've seen that happen to a lot of guys in the past. Yeah, sometimes guys just need to leave that big market like New York and. It seems like he's had a he's had a lengthy career. Obviously, he's been successful to various degrees, but it's not like he's some superstar. But they don't need him to be a superstar. No, you know the world needs you know four point three ERAs too. So, <laughs> and that that's who he was for a little bit. And I'm just so you know I'm happy for him as a fan that he uh, he figured it out and he's had to be able to do it this long now. Um, there's one question I did want to ask you. Go ahead. Uh, I'm not sure if it's before your time or not, but back in the nineties, the Mets traded away Jeff Kent, who had worn out his welcome here for Carlos Baerga. It was a package deal, but those were the two frontliners. I don't, I never really understood the story from the Cleveland point of view. Was that a shock? Like, was it time for Baerga to go or? From what I understand, um, it is a little bit before my time. I was not very, I was not, um, I guess, um, aware of what was happening. Because <laughs> sure. um, he was a player for he, a number of years. He, he was very he, good by Erga. He was good. Uh, I, I just think that the the Indians were just trying to find something different. Um, yeah. And that, that's essentially what, what they did because they swapped out, um, they swapped out by Erga. Uh, before uh, he came back for one season in '99. Oh uh, right, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, I forgot that. I forgot that completely. That he went back for a year. Yeah, he went back for a year, and he just wasn't wasn't the same. But essentially, they swapped out again. New York, dude. New York ruins people. Man, <laughs> he came here and he was done. Same thing with Robbie Alomar. He came here and he was just cooked. An- another another Indian. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. That, Oh, he was such a – he was one of my favorites, man. Even after the spitting thing, he was just so good. Do you remember that? Vaguely. Robbie Alomar – yeah, he spit on an umpire in a game. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember it now. One... Yeah, that was um, that was huge at the time. That was huge because he's a superstar. But I, I didn't even care. He was that good. Now, um, I do have one question. Is there like a, a specific Mets player from your time – Actually, no, let's do it this way. Who is your all-time favorite Mets player? Who is your all-time least favorite Mets player? Oh, boy. All right. Um, all-time favorite Mets player. I mean, David Wright and Mike Piazza got to be the easy ones. 
Let me see if I could dig a little bit deeper. Um, I loved Carlos Delgado. I thought he was such a great, great piece to that mid-2000s Mets team. Um, just a, a, a consistent threat at the plate, decent defense. Um, what struck me most was he always had a notebook. And he, after every at-bat, he would run back to the dugout and be scratching in that notebook and uh, just absolutely meticulous and so dedicated to his craft. Uh, very, he, I was a big fan of that guy. Ah, Mike Hampton. I, I mean, least favorite is so tough. I try not to, I try not to hate athletes or just like athletes. They, they're just trying to do their jobs. Mike Hampton had a really, really nice year for the Mets in 2000. He came here in a trade. Um, they picked him up as an ace. He was going to be the ace for that team, and him and Al Leiter were at the top of the rotation, and that was a that was a, a plus for that team. Um, when it came time to re-sign him the next offseason, he chose to sign with the Colorado Rockies, and the story he gave was that they have much better schooling there, so I want to go there. Um, and, you know, Mets fans chastised him. We we were very, very upset. We, he, was, uh, um, he was an ace at the time. So I don't want to say he's my least favorite. I probably have to put some thought into who's the the bottom of that list. Um, I can tell you who the <laughs> the furthest fall has been, and um, Jose Reyes. Jose Reyes was quite possibly the most electric player in the franchise's history. Um, there's nothing more exciting than a Jose Reyes triple in like 2007. Nothing more exciting. Mm-hmm. Just he flew. Um, I'm not sure if this, if, if everything got out there as far as what happened, as far as his domestic violence charges, uh, just, you know, abhorrent stuff, um, absolutely just disgusting charges. And uh, that really soured me on, on him <laughs> permanently. Um, you know, a lot of fans either didn't, maybe didn't hear the news or, or chose not to look, not to digest it um, how, how they did, but. Yeah, he uh, that that star fell and that star fell hard. I know uh, the Mets wanted to bring him back for like a Jose Reyes day, and and I think that they would have been absolutely uh, lambasted for that. I couldn't I couldn't imagine <laughs> I couldn't imagine that going over well. But yeah, I, I don't have too many um, least favorites. At okay. the end of the day, these guys are just trying to do their jobs. All right, you know, uh, the the Jose Reyes situation, very similar to a, a player on the Cleveland Browns I happen to dislike, uh, <clears throat> Kareem Hunt. Oh, uh, there you go. Yeah. Yep. Um, he, he's a talented football player. I just don't like what he did off the field. Um, and to, yeah. to answer the question from the Indians' perspective, um, I, I know it's probably not going to be a... a um, it's a player who has, is loved and he's not at the same time for his departure, but that would be Jim Tomey. Really? Yep. I'm a big Jim Tomey fan. Some people... Oh, oh, I thought you were saying you weren't a big show. No, no. Jim, I, Jim no, Tomey. I love Jim Tomey. Jim Tomey is one of my favorites. I went to the day that they unveiled the statue, so I have a little mini statue uh, here in my office. I love Jim Tomey. Uh, some people don't look have don't look, have the uh, the fondness for him because he, he left for the Phillies. Uh, twice, uh, You're right? <laughs> yeah. Um, least favorite. This one's easy. It's John Rocker. <laughs> yeah, 
we don't like him here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, similar similar reasons. He just said absolutely disgusting things. It's just like I, I don't yeah. understand how anyone can can back that guy. You know what I mean? He came and he came and played for the uh, Long Island Ducks, which is the independent Atlantic League here. Uh, after his playing career, and yeah, we did not forget. We went to his first game with the Ducks, and we let him hear it all night. It was a uh, good night, fun night. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure that was a, a fun night. Uh, just to, oh, dude, to... there were kids. They, dude, there were little kids yelling at him. It was awesome. <laughs> he's just, he's just not a good person, and it's just we'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, um, I. Personally, I hope that he's grown since he made those comments. Um, I assume that he didn't, but I'd like to say that he did, and I hope that he did, and I hope that he can eventually. But, uh, yeah, yeah, he said some things that I don't think many New Yorkers are going to share the same <laughs> hopeful to forgive sentiments that I do. But, yeah, I hope, I hope he, 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 you know, enlightens himself because that's a, a terrible way to live. Yeah, you know, the baseball players aren't necessarily uh... – at least vocal ones aren't necessarily the ones to change all that much on on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> Who uh, the the old Aubrey Huff treatment? Uh, oh, jeez, Aubrey Huff and uh, Kurt <laughs> Schilling. Those two. Those two guys. Hey, I, that's one. That's my proudest moment on Twitter. I am blocked. Oh, I was blocked by Kurt Schilling before he deleted <laughs> his account. Oh, I know he deleted his account. That must be new uh, or recent because I I didn't pay attention to him. I think I had him muted. Oh, maybe uh, he just deactivated because I, I checked. To make sure that I was still blocked and he wasn't there at all. Uh, no, he's he's here. I just searched him. It's he, uh, was it Garrett thirty eight, right? Yeah, he's tweeted twice in the past five minutes. <laughs> oh, he's back. Let me make sure. Gary. No, I can't find him. I guess I'm still blocked. Yeah. Uh, good you know, news. Just... That's always that's always good news. Yeah. So you know, Kurt Schilling uh, and uh, and Aubrey Huff. So. Um, God, I hope John Rocker doesn't have a Twitter. I mean, explore that. No, not Lisa doesn't have an official one. That could have been ugly. Um, he would have, yeah, that would be fun. That's like a go-to. That would be a go-to for every Mets fan. Like, oh, it's nine. Like, it's nine oh three. Let me go fuck with John Rocker.